0: 1 Samuel, if you ponder on the chapters we have seen so far in the first 13 chapters, you will see a transformation not only taking place in a nation, but a community, structure. What they've all known is now changed. There's a king. King Saul, and, and we see the end of the life of, of Samuel as, as the judge, the priest, the, and a transformation that was, was not God's plan, but that is what man wanted to do. And they're now facing the consequences and all the things that come along with following the flesh and desiring after the things of this world and the flesh of man. And, uh, and we still continue to see it here and how it will not only affect uh, a nation uh, and affect those in leadership of that nation. But we also see a story affecting, it will bring out incredible boldness in godly men and godly women. But in, tonight we'll see a godly man, Jonathan, the son of uh, King Saul. And we will see this bold trust that he has in God. He may not even fully understand what he was doing, and, and, but he just knew God would want him to do something. The enemy is after us. The enemy is destroying our, our life and our community, our, our, our nation. We're in bondage. We're, there's just, we've got to do something. And we will see that played out here this evening in a a bold trust that this man has, Jonathan, and it's played out here. And we'll see some of the characteristics of Saul come out some more, Jonathan more, uh, and others. But we will see it played out here in this chapter, chapter 14. We saw in chapter 13 that there was a garrison of Philistines near Miknosh, ready to do battle with the people of Israel. So they were always thinking there was going to be a war and rumors of wars. You know, it, was, it was real. It was real then and, and certainly it's real today. But we see in 1 Samuel 14, just taking a look at the first three verses, it says now it happened one day, which is an interesting phrase. It means things were going along. It, 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 tension was happening. That There was a a battle with the Philistines right there you don't know what was going to happen there was they were formed an army against them there was a battle it, you know god brought them through that you know it was some tension between Even Saul and the people, and Jonathan, and Jonathan was really leading the the victory because God was leading Jonathan to do this. But at the same time, Saul was coming in and, and, you know, trying to get credit, and and we saw in the the chapter 13. And you still see some of that characteristic in Saul coming out here even more uh, as we see them going to go into a battle uh, again here. But... It, now it happens. It means there was a time period here. There was a law. There was a beginning that at the beginning, and then now we we see an indication of this, this unremarkable day. It was just one of those days, and it's just it seems like we're just kind of going through the days. And but now it happened. It was that day, that one day, that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, the armor-bearer. Every leader, in the, in, would especially the king, but even every officer had an armor bearer. It was someone who was probably quite buff, a very strong man who would be able to carry the armor and the sword, the weapons that the leader, the officer, in the or in this case, King Saul, would use once they go into battle. They didn't carry their own weapons. <laughs> they didn't carry their own armor. They had the armor bearer carry that weight for them to go into battle. And so a young man, strong, valiant, a fighter, was the bodyguard of the officer, in this case, King Saul. It was this young man who bore his armor. He said, come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father, and Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under the Prominicent tree, which is in Migron. Now it's interesting. We see that all of a sudden, out of the blue, here out of the it just happened that day. Jonathan was stirred up. There was a boldness that came upon him within him, saying to his armor, "But hey, we're." You know, you don't take your armor bearer unless you're going to go into ready to go fight. Now, you think about the armor bearer. We're just sitting here going, okay, what are you going to do today, boss? You know, it's just another day. What if, are we waiting to see if they're going to be attacked or what, what are we going to do? And he says, "Now, come. Let us go over to the Philistine. He says, wait, wait. Don't we have to wait for the enemy to come after us? Just the two of us are going to go over there? <laughs> you, you can imagine what he's thinking here. As we will see what he was thinking. We're not talking, it's just two of us, boss. And we're going to go over to the Philistines garrison. That's a lot of of people over there, a lot of warriors over there garrison. And you're not going to tell your dad, the king, has the army with him. How many? We see it. Saul was, he knew where he was. It's not like he didn't know where his father was because it says right here Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under the propaganda tree. He was sunning himself, I was shading himself, he was relaxing. The leader, I guess, should always be relaxing, huh? No. The people who were with him were about 600 men. So he had a, a little small army around him protecting him and ready to go to war at any point if there was a, the Philistines were going to attack. And then we see Achihah, the son of Achitob, Ichabod's brother, the son of of the, uh, the, the son of Eli, the, the Lord's priest of Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So we see here that the elements, the priest was there, the spiritual leader, right? We see the warriors were sitting there around with the king. They're they're shading themselves, staying out of the the sun. But out of that whole scenario, we see Jonathan rising up and the armor bearer following them. And we see that these that they're going to go out and they said, come, let's go over to the Philistine garrison. This, this this, Jonathan had enough bold trust by faith to go over to the Philistine garrison. He's, he just see that the Lord might do. See, what, what will the Lord do if we would just go and confront the enemy that is challenging us? Deal with the issue. Not passively sitting under the shade and just saying, we'll just see what happens. No, he was boldly ready to go take care of the enemy. Now, we don't see anywhere in the scripture here where the Lord said to Jonathan, go to the Philistine garrison and see what I'm going to do through your hands. But he was stirred up, willing to take a bold trust in what God might do. Is it the fact that he may have known the scriptures? Where we see in Leviticus, chapter 26, verse 8. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Did he know the scripture of how God can use one man or two men to take down a garrison? if you had enough bold trust in God, to do great things for God, to to take out the enemy? Why didn't he tell his dad? He had 600 men. That would have really helped. If you're leaning on your own understanding and your logic, you'd want more in your numbers here. Garrison's thousands, and we're talking 600. So you're still outnumbered. So why why, why didn't he tell his dad? Because perhaps it was an oversight or something easily or properly explained. I don't think so. Or may it be that Jonathan deliberately did not tell his father because he believed his father would simply say, No, son, you're not going. We're not going to cause any problems here. Let me just sit under the tree here and enjoy the moment. I don't think so. I think the reason why he didn't tell him is because we saw a glimpse back in the previous chapter where when God used Jonathan, what did his dad do? He took credit. What God had done through that man's life. That's where I kind of leaned toward. You might have a different perspective and just figured he would just hear no and he, didn't, he was a young kid. He wasn't going to listen to his father and I, I refused to listen to my dad. I'm not going to tell my dad because he's just going to tell me no. It could be a, a somewhat prideful. But I don't think so. I don't think it was pride at all in that. But his dad was sitting with some 600 warriors, enjoying the day. And we see that a priest had an ephod, which is important to, to know because there was a spiritual presence there of being able to speak and to represent God here for the people. So everything was played out here, and we see interesting a couple of characters come in here. These, and, and uh, a son, and, 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 and Ichabod's brother, and, and we see this. And, and so when you ponder on this, some of these characters, it's like, why is that being introduced here? And if it's not clear sometimes as you're studying, why are these names popping in here? And what do they have? And you look for other parts of the scriptures where they're played out and where God has noted them before and they're not really highlighted before. So you start looking at the names and you're looking at what does the meaning of the names look like? So you start doing a little more in depth and a little more study here. And you know, Ichabod, it's interesting because when you take a look at that name, And we look at his, the, in this case, the nephew of, of Ichabod, which is Akaha, uh, it means probably because God was, you know, it had these associations with names here. But the name came out very clear when you look that up. And in the name here, it means the glory has departed. So as I take a look and go, I don't see any other reason why they're making these names of who's there. They're not played out. They're not going to go into war. They're not doing anything. But we see here the name, the glory has departed, Akaha, depict it really the case of where Saul was spiritually. The power of God had left Saul. He's no longer king. He was in a position of the king, but he really wasn't the king anymore. God had already planned a change. It was going to take some time before that change took place. So the people did not know that Jonathan was gone. So they were looking to try to pull together, who take account of the people. And we noticed that people didn't even notice that Jonathan his armor bearer di- disappeared out of, the, out of the scene. So which tells me that Jonathan wasn't looking for attention. And it's, it's going around like some young guys do and say, hey, who's going to go over there and take care of the enemy? No one's going to step up here and go take the enemy? Okay, I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you how you deal with this. Come on, armor bear, we're going. And you guys watch me. See how we're going to deal with the enemy here. Now, that's a prideful man. That's a man who's looking for attention. That's a man who's looking for attention on himself. It might indicate there's a character flaw there. But he didn't. He just, they quietly went and did what it appears that God wanted them to do and gave them the boldness and the trust in God to do this work. He didn't, he believed that God was calling him and, of course, his armor bear to go do this work. Not dad in, in the 600 other men or the rest of the nation of Israel no no he god i this is what i put on my heart to do we're going to go do it we're going to see what the god's going to do and that's how the spiritual work is done even today god puts on the heart of a man or a woman to do hard things for god Not for attention, not for glory, not to make a name for themselves, not to make the money, not to to get to positions in power and any of these things. It is literally going out and taking a step of faith with boldness to do things that are hard. It's not convenient to serve God. It's not, you can can get hurt serving God. You may not get any recognition for serving God. But you know that's what God has called you to do, to serve him and his people. And you do it. Because God gives you that bold trust in him to do that work. So what happens here? We find in verse 4 and 5, between the passes, so there's a pass going to where this garrison is, and between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. It's interesting. In the scriptures, we even know the names of these rocks, right? And the name of one was Bazaz, and the other name of the other is Sinah, The front of the one face northward opposite of Michmash, and the other southwards opposite of Gibeah. So in his first step of taking this bold trust in God to go deal with the enemy... It is so clear in the ministry even today of serving God. When God gives you this boldness in your heart to do something for Him, just purely for Him and not for anything other than for yourself or anyone else, and you take that step of faith to do it, God starts opening doors and revealing things to make things happen. In this case, he's gonna go see the enemy, and he God reveals to him a specific path, a specific path. And it and it is it's beautifully set up in this rock formation on both sides, a very sharp rock formation. So it's not, it's a beautiful place to take and bring the enemy and bring them and crowd them to a position where you can deal with the enemy. So if you have thousands coming, but they have to narrow down into something that is not manageable for them to come as a force. But just take a few out at a time. God has ways of dealing with the enemy. So Jonathan never decided. He may have thought it, but he said, "I'm not willing to take that chance." Are you? That's that's crazy thought here. That just the two of us are going to go take off the enemy. So I'm just going to just sit here and I'm just going to let that pass. It can't be of the Lord. There's no way because that's not logical that I'm going to go take on a garrison. And we'll talk ourselves out of doing bold things for God because it's not logical. Remember, if it's of God, it requires faith to do it. If it doesn't have if it doesn't take faith to go ask and do the things you think you should do, then it's not of God, I believe. So if Jonathan never decided, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side, we're going to take a step. It's not easy. They're not right there. We're going to have to go to the other side. We're going to have to figure this out as we go, as God's going to reveal. He would never found this strategic place that God wanted him to see to deal with the enemy. How are we going to deal with the enemy? Well, take a step. That means it requires faith. Take a step and then he'll show you how he's going to deal with it. Well, why doesn't God show me first how he's going to deal with it and then I'll take the step? Well, then it wouldn't require faith. So it happens. God guided Jonathan as he boldly trusted God and acted on that bold trust by faith. Faith in who? Not in himself. Not in the numbers. Remember, they had no weapons. They had a sword, yes, but they didn't have the sophisticated uh, uh, war, uh, war equipment like the Philistines had. They were outnumbered. They were out uh, technology. They were out of the technology. They didn't have the chariots. They didn't have the horses. They didn't have the nice swords and the metal, the metal work and all the nice No, no. This a sword as he's armor-bearer carrying. Then Jonathan said to the young man, in verse 6, who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord, it may be, look at those words, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord. I love that. Nothing restrains the Lord. I don't know how the Lord's going to do this. This is impossible. I mean, I, I can't figure this out. There's no way how this is going to be. Nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. He can use two. Or he can use 2,000 or 20,000. He, 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 he can do whatever he wants to do. So his armor bearer said, Are you out of your mind, boss? No, no, he didn't say that. He said, So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. He's like, I don't know what's going on and I don't know what you're doing, but I'm here to serve you. You're the leader. I'm here just to support you. I'm supposed to, I'm just carrying your bags, man. You just go forward. I'll carry your armor. I got your sword. I don't know where we're gonna go, and I don't know how far we're gonna go, but I'm willing to go with you because you're the leader. I'm here to help you. To fight with you, to do the hard things with you. Two by two going out, two by two going out here. To do a work of God. He wasn't doing an expedition. He wasn't doing, um, uh, uh, what's the, uh, the position in the army? Uh, a scout. I'm not, he's not being a scout here. He, he wanted to see what God might do through two men who boldly trusted God and stepped out by faith. Jonathan knew the need was great. He saw that the need. He saw what was the need. The need for God's, what God needed, what God's people needed. They needed to take care of the enemy, to take care of the situation. He knew what was the great need. Israel had hopelessly outnumbered. They were just just, just decimated. They were demoralized by the enemy. Jonathan knew what, what. God wanted to use someone to do hard things to take and do what God wanted him to do. It wasn't his dad. His dad's sitting under the tree, shading himself. It wasn't the 600 men who were saying, come on, let's go, let's go to the war and take care of the enemy. But Jonathan was willing. He was the only willing heart, along with his hammer-bearer, willingly to follow him as a leader, Jonathan was willing to let God use him. Jonathan knew God wanted to work with someone, someone who had faith in God and God doing the work through him and through her. That is what God. He knew. You know, he could have chose. I'm just okay. I get you, Armor Bear. Let's just sit here like my dad. Let's just. I know we've got to go. I've got bold. How about we just pray about it? <laughs> the enemy's coming. We'll just sit here and pray about it. Maybe it'll just go away. No, it's not going to go away. Got to deal with it. Lord, can you just bring down fire from heaven on the Philistines right now, please, Lord, so we don't have to go deal with it? But Jonathan knew that God uses men who have bold faith who is willing to do bold action with the fighting spirit of his people. He can do great things. Why? Because he knew God, nothing can restrain God. Nothing can restrain God. To accomplish God's God's will. See, for nothing restrains the Lord by saving by many or f- by few. It's a, this this it's it's a, it's this wise courage in God. We must have a wise courage in God. Some people have a lot of courage, but it's not very wise. They're very bold, but they're not. Very wise in that boldness. Many in Israel probably believe this is this theoretical or theological truth, but few believe enough to do something by taking action. But Jonathan's faith was demonstrated by his works. Action. Does this man have faith? You'll see it because in his actions, the faith lines up with the boldness that he d- does it by faith. But what can restrain the Lord? The only thing that can Be said to restrain God is our unbelief, we find in Matthew 13, 58. What restrains God working through a man? That God's called to do hard things? is his unbelief. God's power is never restrained by his will. But may be restrained by our unbelief. God may choose not to act through one's life. He may not act through one's life until we partner with him in bold trust by faith. Jonathan had that bold trust in God. And God's will was then empowered him to go do that work. Didn't take many, didn't take few. It didn't matter if it was a million to one or a thousand to one. When God's in it, the the whole factor of logic of what the numbers look like does not matter. But you have to have belief. Jonathan never read the New Testament. But he had the Romans 8.31 heart, did he not? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you have that kind of heart, that Romans 8.31 heart? God is for us, who can be against us? Jonathan had little faith in himself. But he had bold trust in God. A faith in God that was strong. I can win with God's help. (laughs) God can win even with me, using me. (laughs) I mean, God can do great things through a willing heart that has faith in God. But look at the, you not forget the, the armor bearer who's following his leader. Go then. <laughs> Is that what you want to do? I'm, go then. Here I am with you. When you have someone by your side cheering you on, even when they don't even maybe fully understand it, but they know your character, they know who you are, they know your faith in God, their trust in God, and when things don't like, I can't, I don't see it, I don't see what you're seeing, but that person next to you, God has planted with you to encourage you and to say, "I'm right there with you," to hold up the arms, "I'm here right there to be in battle with you." I'm trusting. there's nothing better to have someone by your side. And when they stepped out in faith and you hear these encouraging words, I am with you, it can make all the difference from the good and, and also discouragement can make all the difference for the evil. Encouragement can bring out the so much good. The discouragement can bring us so much evil. God was willing to use Jonathan, but he wasn't going to use Jonathan alone. He had brought this young man along his side, because when God calls a man to go out and do hard things, he never calls him out to do it by himself. He always Calls someone to come along and support that man to help him and encourage him in doing the hard thing in faith. I always get reluctant when I see a man by himself thinking he can do it by himself and he's out there to doing his own thing and he doesn't need anybody else. And usually I don't see that in scripture anywhere. So I get a little, little one eyed, you know, kind of a side eyes look oh, let's see what the Lord's going to do here and find out what the really story is because the Lone Ranger's not weird. the Lone Ranger had Tonto you know verse 8 then Jonathan said very well <laughs> this is great I'm encouraged man that's why you're my armor bearer that's why I've chosen to be next to me you're going to help me and carry you're going to help me in this thing well, very well let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say, "Thus to us, wait until we come to you," then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. <laughs> Basically, when they get come closer, we're going to scatter. We're going to. We're not. We're going to do anything here. But if they say, "Thus, come up to us," then we will go up. For the Lord has delivered them into our hands. And this will be a sign to us. So now he gives a little bit more than the, before the armor bearer. No, armor bearer said, is that what you want to do, boss? This is what we're going to do? I'm, I'm with you. Got you. We're encourage you. I'm right with you. We're going to fight together. We're going to, let's see what, what the Lord's going to do. I, I, I trust in you that you're, trust, you're trusting in God. I'm with you here. It's not until after he says, yes, let's go. And he's encouraged. Jonathan now reveals he says, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go over and do that. And we're going to test them. We're going to reveal ourselves to them. We're going to see what they say to us. And depending on their reaction, he now gives them a little bit of of what's going to play out here. I know it's the Lord is in it. If, and he's going to deliver him if they say come up to, to us because that doesn't make sense in war. The enemy usually wants to attack before the, the, enemy, for the other side comes in for the attack. You don't invite someone to come in, in to attack you. And the reason I pondered on that for a while, because what I believe in this moment was revealing to Jonathan was when they say, okay, come on, you come up here. Why? Because they were sitting up on higher ends, the cliffs. Remember the, those rocks? It was difficult to get to them. It was, so if you want to climb up here, we're not wasting our time coming down there. We think you're going to give yourself up. We're going to conquer you. Why waste our time down? They were too relaxed. They thought they had already won kind of a concept. They weren't in battle, Ray. They weren't in battle format. They weren't ready to meet. The, they thought they had given up. They were just showing themselves. Maybe they're some of those Israelites who ran and hid in the rocks and the holes and everything else to hide themselves in the previous chapter. Maybe some of them are coming out and finally said, okay, we're starving. We don't know what to do. We're going to give ourselves up just because it's, it, we're not going to fight you. Maybe it was some of them. And that's why they said, well, you come up here. Jonathan News." They weren't ready for them to battle, but Jonathan, his armor bearer, was ready to battle. And through that response, Jonathan showed wisdom and not unbelief. He does not act on a specific confirmed word from God here. No, no, no. But instead he followed the bold hope and the impression on his heart that he was pressing to boldness to do this hard thing for God and his people. He was humble enough to know his heart might be wrong on this day. He says, let's see if the Lord is in this or not. We don't, I don't know for a fact or 100%. I just know that we need to do something for God, for, for God's people. So Jonathan asked God for guidance to, 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 to confirm as he took steps of faith. He was being asking for confirmation. And when the confirmation is, so they see how they respond. If they say to come up here, we know that God is in us. This wasn't not the, this is not the same thing as Gideon. Where Gideon's setting out the fleece in Judges 6, 36, and 40. No, this is not Gideon had confirmed, you know, Gideon had a confirmation from God to guide him to do this. Jonathan didn't have that yet. Gideon doubted God's word that was given to him to go do this. So Jonathan did not doubt a word from God because he doubted his own heart and mind because he had not gotten confirmation fully what this is, if God was in this or not. Until he heard those words, come on, on from the enemy. Then he had confirmation. Because God said, if they call them up, that means they're not prepared to battle. They're not ready for you. And I'll bring you and empower you to go do the work. So Jonathan was prompted by faith. He didn't demand from God, okay, God, I feel like I need to do something for you. Give me the whole plan. How are you going to do all this and this and this? And I'll make a decision if I take the first step. No, no. He just knew that that was right and good. He needed to deal with the enemy, and he took that step, and God said, yes, I'm with you, and let me confirm that with you, and each step you take, I'm going to confirm it again, I'm going to confirm it again, that I'm with you, and I'm going to lead you into victory. He was willing to take it one step at a time and let God plan it out. That's how you serve God. You take one step at a time where God has put on your heart, where you know what is good and right for, to serve God and to, to take care of his people. And when you take those steps one step at a time and let God plan it out as you're taking those steps, watch how God brings a victory and fruitfulness in the ministry that God's called you to. See, faith is willing to let God know the whole plan. And to know our part one step at a time. God, I just know you've got a plan. I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know how we're going to purchase it. I don't know how we're going to move it there. I'm not sure how we're going to build it. I'm not sure how, what we're going to do next. I don't know how we're going to afford it. I, you have all the. I just know you have a big plan, God, for your people. But I'm going to just take one step at a time. And as you lead, I'll take the step. And if you're in it, I keep taking steps. If you're not in it, I pause, I wait until you show me what the next step will be. It's by faith, not by sight. I just know God has a plan. I know God is, knows what's good and right for his people. I don't always know until he shows and reveals it to me. And reveals it to you. Verse 11 So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of see, coming out of the holes where they have hidden. See, that's what they thought. These guys are giving themselves up here. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me. He led. He didn't tell the young man, you go first and deal with the first fighting. No, no. He says, I'm going to go first. Come up after after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees. That's how steep it was. He was climbing up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan as he came after him. His armor bearer killed them. They were a team. The first slaughter, which Jonathan, his armor-bearer, made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. See, at this time, I mean, you know, Israelites were in crisis. Philistines thought they had, had them already wrapped up. They were just going to finish them off. It's only in due time until they get in order and start continue to be their slaves to the Philistines and serve them. They were much more powerful. They were very understanding they had all the resources and the, and the sophisticated equipment and everything else, their advantage. These people are just coming out of the holes. They're starving. They need to, they're looking to turn themselves in. No big deal. Come up here. We're not wasting our time coming down there. And here comes two people up and they take one one after another after another as they come after him. Jonathan knew that the battle was the Lord's. But yet he knew God would use him to fight. When Jonathan saw God's confirming sign, he didn't lay down his sword and start praying. God would strike them all down at one time so I don't have to swing a sword. Yes, he prayed, made sure his sword was sharp. (laughs) That's what he did. Make sure the sword is sharp, man. Are we ready to go? We're going to go get them. Because he had this boldly trusted God in doing this. He wasn't leaning on his own understanding, let alone his own strength. God is going to use us to strike the enemy down, to deal with the issue. So what happens in verse 15? And there was trembling in the camp. (laughs) Shock and awe. <laughs> took place here because now they're starting to tremble because they're saying what's happening here we just got 20 people just taken out by two of two the guys what is going on what what this shouldn't be happening everyone was relaxed everyone thinking there's no war here no one's going to come after us there was trembling in the camp and in the field and among all the people. It wasn't just a little bit. The garrison and the raiders were also trembled. All the warriors were trembling. Why? Because they wasn't sure. There was confusion going on here. But also notice this. And the earth quaked. So there was a very great trembling. God said to guys, guess what? We're going to empower you. I'm going to show you to go forward to deal with the issue here. The enemies in front of you. What Jonathan and his armor bearer never counted on and expected. They didn't know the details of how God was going to help them. Showed them a way through this, this pass. Going and climbing up rocks. Taking probably maybe a little bit by you know an element where they, they had an advantage. But this is what they didn't understand that God can do. That God has the power over the entire universe and he could cause a great quake to cause confusion and scariness. That must have been such a, the Richter scale must have been off the scale. There must have been, what is going on here? And they felt a quake they'd never felt before. And that causes people today to panic, do they not? Yes, they do. God used his natural ability of, 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 of earthquakes and fires and rain to, to do his work. They were trembling. They were confused. It was, I, we could call it a divine confusion. They woke that morning thinking, hey, we're attacked by enemies in our midst. They were actually so confused, they were thinking their their fellow brother was the enemy, and they started killing each other. It didn't matter what the Philistines' great number was, did it? They outnumbered the Israelites. Far better weapons. But God was more able to set the Philistines against each other and bring a great confusion, divine confusion and earthquake to cause them to, to, to wipe each other out. They didn't need a great army of Israel to go in there. Just a couple of men with bold trust in God. Jonathan used his heart and sword, but God did what Jonathan could not do. He brought the great earthquake. Verse sixteen. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away. They were disappearing. Well, what, what happened? Where are all those people? Where are all the soldiers gone? They're melting away. They're disappearing. What's happening? They're dying up there. <laughs> They're driving like flies, and the earthquake's happening, right? And they were the here and there. And then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. And Saul said to Akeha, bring the ark of the God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priests that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priests, withdraw your hand. <laughs> so, can you imagine this? I, 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 they must have felt the earthquake going on at the same time. They were close. They were so close they could hear the Philistine camp. They're just on the other side. And here they're happening. The, now the watchman of Saul, I mean, someone's watching the enemy and to t- tell Saul, hey, the enemy's forming up, they're coming, they're all right there. No, no, he's looked and he's saying, The multitude of the enemy is disappearing. They're melting away. Like, something's happening here that I can't explain to you as the watchman. I can't, this is not, that's not in part of the battle plan rhythm that we went to training on. I've never seen anything like this happening. Saul immediately does what? He didn't understand this is a time of action. Get the 600 men, let's go. We're going, we have an opportunity. No. Call a roll call. I want to know who's, I want to count for every man. (laughs) I want order here. Because he needed to learn by sight how many people he had, because he needed to make sure he counted the people. Because he he leaned upon how many men he had available. Not by faith here he is. He's got him. He's getting a roll ball. They quickly find out that it's actually Jonathan and his armor bearers not being counted here. So what does he do? Real spiritual. I don't know. What are we going to do here? Get the ark of God. Bring him here. Because we've got to do something. This is, this is, I don't know what to do. It's a real spiritual thing here. But then finally what happened? He saw, heard the noise and realized something and so here we interesting. The priest had pulling out the um and thum probably out of the out of the e- ephod to, to to decide what to do and where to go and yet yes or no kind of a deal. Says so get your hand out of the withdraw your hand. Don't even seek God on this. We got to get ready. We're going. Stop seeking an answer from God right now. Why? Because we have got to go. Look at here in verse 20. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and they went to battle. And indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor. And there was very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews were with the Philistines before that time who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country. They also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all of the men who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim. When they heard that the Philistines fled, they also uh, followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. Once he heard all this noise, and, and he was like, okay, seeking God, do we, what do we do here? What's going on? Let's get the ark of the God. Let's, let's, let's figure out how, what do we do. And then all of a sudden he says, Wait, that, this is great noise. This, we're just going to go. And when they saw Saul finally say, let's go. Notice who joined them then finally. Remember, Saul's the leader of Israel. It took a long time to come to start leading this, the, the, the Israel to go to battle here. It took them a long time. He was sitting under the tree. And everyone was following suit on that. Now he follows God and Jonathan into battle. Why? Because he didn't know fully what was going on, but he knew something was going on, and he knew his, his son and his armor bearer was there, so obviously they're the ones causing the great noise, and we're going to go into this and follow where my son is going, and the armor bearer, because we're going to do what he's doing, because something is going on. And it appears many had an insecure heart just like the leader was because they were doing nothing. They were hiding in the the mountains of Ephraim. They're in the holes and they're firing and they're sitting under the tree shading themselves. They saw a leader that wasn't bold. He didn't have trust in God. He was trying to take it easy and everyone else was following suit with that. But when Saul finally rose up because he saw that Jonathan, his son, was moving ahead. There was great confusion, great noise that was going on. He finally moved and now all the men were with him in the 600 and those who were, who were not only the ones hiding in the holes in the mountains, but notice also the men and women who, or the men there who had stayed with the Philistines as servants also turned on them. Because at one point when you're sitting there and your master has you as a slave, you're not going to say anything. You're going to go quiet to go quiet, Go still. Don't do, not do don't move, don't flinch. But all of a sudden, they even saw what God would, must have been being doing here, and the confusion and stuff. And even those who were in a servant position, who chose to stay to keep their lives and stay with the, serving the Philistines, turned on the Philistines. Those coming out of the mountains of the holes came after them. The six hundred men with Jonathan came out. The whole Israel is now united against the enemy. They overcame their fear of the enemy. They overcame the fear of the unknown. They overcame the fear of their current situation, circumstances. And it was all because a young man and his armor bearer had bold trust in God. And that caused others to be on fire. To move when you see God move, you move. Verse twenty-four. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. For Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies, so none of my so none of the people tasted food. Again, here's an unwise leader making a very bad choice and decision, thinking he's making a real spiritual decision. We're going to all fast today. We've got to be really spiritual. We've got to seek. didn't say seek God. We're going to just have the spiritual fast. And we're all going to do it together. Unity. Not by choice. You have to. If you're not, there's a curse being placed upon you. So you're going to do this not by a willing heart. You're doing it because you're told you have to do it. Why is Saul doing that? Because he thinks that's a spiritual thing to do. Versus understanding what a, the natural need. When you go to war and you use up your energy, you need food. And if you don't have the energy, you don't have the food, you don't have the calories on board, you become weak. You cannot fight the enemy. So on the surface, sounds really spiritual. Let's set today aside a special day of fasting unto the Lord. Because we want God to do a great work amongst us here. And just so I know I have unity, I'm going to put a curse on you if you don't do it. See, Saul's focus was completely wrong. Saul put the army of Israel under an oath so he could have vengeance on his enemies, not to seek the Lord. If he regarded it as his battle, he should have simply fasted himself. If he thought that's what the Lord was telling him to do, he should have been the only one fasting. But you show, when a man like this sits there and says, everyone's going to fast, he's, what he's really doing is not a focus on the Lord, he's really bringing a focus on himself. His, his, his whole sense of authority was wrong. He didn't have the authority to proclaim a curse on God's people. He was not the spiritual leader. Samuel could have brought on a, a curse on the people if he didn't do what God told him to do, but he didn't have that authority. Why are you bringing out punishment on people who, who didn't follow your lead here? Should have called for a volunteer. If you want to fast with me, I'm seeking the Lord. If you want to join me in the fasting and seeking the Lord on this to deal with the enemy and stuff, then join me. But if the Lord shows you to do it, great. If he doesn't, that's fine. But I'm seeking the Lord with or without anybody. I'm seeking the Lord, I'm fasting. That's not what he did. Instead of leading by example and inviting the army of Israel to follow. He placed the people under an oath. And that caused a great problem here. Look at verse 25. Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. Talk about temptation. (laughs) But no one put his hand to his mouth. Wow, this is really good, for the people feared the oath. No one wanted to be cursed. But Jonathan had not heard. He was not knowledgeable of this, this, this curse. He had not heard his father's cha- charge the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand and then dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and in his countenance brightened. Yes, you were depleted with all your calories. You needed something and you just did. Then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint, but Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. My father is absolutely wrong. Look now how my countenance was brightened because I tasted a little of of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For now would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? My dad making that decision caused us not to have a better outcome. Everyone started getting too weak. You can't keep going to battle. You're not going to keep running and chasing these people down and fighting hand-to-hand combat. If they don't have the energy and the food on board to, to deal with the calories, to deal with the issues? He, he called it out here. Verse 31, Now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to, to ah, ah, Yalon. So the people were very faint, and the people rushed on the spoil and took sheep ox oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. They were so starving, so hungry, they were willing to eat the animals with its blood still. Then they told Saul, saying, look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. So he said, you have dealt treacherously, roll a large stone to me this day. And Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, bring me Here every man's ox and every man's sheep and slaughter them here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the men of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. So. God specifically commanded to his God's people, you don't eat animals with blood in it. He said it clearly in Deuteronomy chapter twelve, verses twenty three through twenty-five. You're also always supposed to properly drain those animals, drain the blood from the animal to prepare them for eating. But because of Saul's foolish command on the people and their fear of the fact that they were going to get cursed if they touched any food, caused them to be so hungry they broke the commandment of God because of this false commandment of man. Their obedience to Saul's foolish command led them to disobey God's clear, dec- clearly declared command. That, my brothers and sisters, is a perfect example. And this is always the result of legalism. It's perfectly exampled right here. We often think that legalistic rules keep people from sinning. Nope. It's actually the opposite. Legalistic rules lead us into sin because they either provoke our rebellion or they lead us into legalistic pride. Don't do the following. An immature man will choose to rebel against that command or they will turn and they'll become legalistic pride because I've kept it perfectly. See, Saul was blaming the people for what was his cause for them to lead into God's, against God's commandment. He should have never made such a foolish commandment. And his commandment provoked the people to sin. So what does he do? He does something somewhat proper by saying, get me a stone so I can have them slaughtered properly and drain the blood before they eat. But again, Saul thinking he's doing what is right and good, Saul did it wrong again. Why was it wrong for him to ask for the stone and kill the animals? It wasn't his role and responsibility, it was the priest to do it. So he's just compounding these things. And again, look at verses 36 through 39. He brings on another foolish oath on top of another. He's on a roll here. Now Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light, and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God. Okay, that sounds like a good thing. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? That's two questions. But he did not answer him that day. God did not answer Saul those two questions. So what did Saul do? Did he sit and be still and wait for the answer from God? No, no. What did Saul do? And Saul said, Come over here all you chiefs of the people and know and see what the sin was today for as the Lord lives who saves Israel thou it be in Jonathan my son he shall surely die but not a man among all the people answered him. He's on a roll. So instead of waiting to see what the Lord's going to say, he turns around and gets the leaders, the chiefs to come up and says, we're going to figure out what's happening here. And I guarantee, you, even if it's my son, Jonathan, he's going to die if it's him. But he was so confident that it wasn't him and Jonathan. It was someone in the people that he would made a st- stupid oath by saying, even if my son, he's going to die if it was him. But I, in his mind, he knew it wasn't his son. He thought. And all the people knew that it was Jonathan, what he did. He, they were there. They knew he took that honey. And what did what'd they do? They, among all the people, answered nothing. They didn't tell Dad what the son did. Here's Saul barking orders out, and the priest says, Could we at least pray first before we move and take another move? Okay, we'll seek counsel on God. He asks a couple of questions. God doesn't answer He inquired of the Lord, just as the priest suggested. This is good. He us to get that urim and throw them out there and inquire of the Lord to see what we should do. But there still was no answer. But he thought he was so right in his own mind. But he was so deceived. He made another oath pronouncing an oath, even to my son, he should die if he touched anything. Saul was very good at making religious oaths and promises, but that didn't mean very much because he did not have the right heart after God. He was not good at keeping the oaths that he actually made himself. The people said nothing. So what happened? In Verse 40, then he said to all of Israel, you be on one side and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. Get, take, take them out, throw them out there. Let's see what the perfect lot is. That perfect lot in the language means Thumen. So it's more than likely if which one comes out is if they pull it out as Thumen, it's probably the perfect lot. It will, it'll answer, give us an answer. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So they threw it out and went, Ooh, shocker here, man. The people, it wasn't the people. It's you and me, Jonathan. We're left standing here from that lot. Okay, so let's, let's, let's get the lot out again. Let's see between the two of us. What happened? Cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. And so Jonathan was taken. And Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. God has revealed a perfect lot in showing showing you have done something. Jonathan told him and said, I only taste a little honey at the with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die. And Saul answered, God do so and more also for you shall surely die, Jonathan. He was so prideful of a man, so wrong in so many ways. Jonathan didn't say, Dad, are you out of your mind? I'm running. I'm getting out of here. No, he says, OK, I'm going to surely die. Saul was so confident in what he thought was going to come out of these casting of lots. It was going to be somewhere in the high or low. This like dice moment here is going to lead someone in the people, not me and my son. But because of that foolish position where he, he thought for sure he knew what's best. He pronounced a death sentence on someone and ended up ending for his son. But notice he was willing to kill his son rather than to humble himself and admit that he was, he was at fault. Saul started out as a humble man, if you remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 10. But now, once it was impressive of his humility, is now overtaken by pride in the position he finds himself in. Verse 45, but the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die? Who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. Saul, certainly not. You're not killing Jonathan, period. Exclamation point. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day, so the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went their own place. So now they're taking the pressure off the Philistines. The Philistines are able to get away, get secured, because of the distraction and the things that are going on here. Obviously, clearly, Jonathan shouldn't die. Why? Because, first of all, the oath itself was a, it was a penalty on the oath. It was, it was not a proper. It was very foolish. It was bad. should have never been enforced, first of all. Second of all, Jonathan broke an oath based on ignorance. He didn't know there was an oath out there, a charge. Why would he die for something like that? And finally, he, God approved. Approval was evident by his great blessing on Jonathan. He had a great victory. He had worked through, with God that day, and God was in and for this. Why would you think you could come now against what God is, God's people or God's man he's been using? Jonathan's bold trust by faith is why there was victory that day. Verse 47, so Saul established his sovereignty over, over Israel. So things settled down and he gained got control over all of Israel as king and fought against all the enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he harassed them and he gathered the, an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them and the sons of Saul were Jonathan and Yishvi and uh, Malkishunah and the names of his two daughters uh, were these. The name of the firstborn was Mirba and the name of the younger was Michal and the name of Saul's wife was Neomim, and the daughter was Akaneomim. Ma'ats. Ma- 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 and the name of the commander of his army was Abner, and the son of Ner, and, and Saul's uncle Kish, and uh, un- his uncle's, Saul's uncle, and Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abel. And now there was a fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul, and when Saul s- saw any younger man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. So we see here at the very end here, these last few verses here, God is, you know, Saul is gaining as a king this sovereignty over and control over Israel and leading. He's leading the war after war after war and he's harassing him and trying to get the enemy out. You see some people involved here uh, in regards to this and he built a strong army around him to protect him. Every strong man, every valiant man, he assured them to bring them and took them for himself and his inner circle of army around him to, to strengthen. So if anyone comes against his leadership he had an army for him uh, to to protect him but it it reveals in this chapter that Saul's strength in in gaining strength through you know this power and it says established his sovereign over Israel he fought many successful wars obviously but what you have to understand is whenever he turned he harassed the enemy Saul's strength was broad it was broad. It was just going after little ones here, but it was very shallow. It may have broad strength, but it was very shallow strength. It was very temporary. Because Saul was not a man after God's own heart, because his own relationship with God was more about image and substance and power and, 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 and name for his name and power within the kingdom. That is not going to last. And as we will see, the next chapter will fully expose the weakness of Saul in his leadership. He may think he has sovereignty, but it's very shallow, very temporary. And we know because God was not in it. It It may look good on the outside, but it was no depth to it. Because he he wasn't doing it with the right heart. Father, we thank you for your word this evening, Lord, and we thank you, and may we be men and women with bold trust in you and you alone, for what you're calling us to do. to live by faith and not by sight. to live a life that's walking in the spirit and in truth and not in the flesh. To live as you guide our steps, That we don't lean on our own understanding. But in all of our ways, as we see, as Jonathan, in all of his ways, he saw that he needed to do this for you. May we also, in all of our ways, and not lean on our own understanding of these things as you direct our steps and direct our paths in our life, Lord. We want to serve you. We want to fall deeper in love with you, a deeper faith in following you in all the days of our life. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.